the Action Network Podcast. I'm just about that action, boss. Ready? Ready. All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jill Galant and I'm joined every week with Evan Abrams. He's our research director here at Action Network. We're going to go through all of the Sunday NFL action for week 14. Brandon Anderson will have his hot reads, of course, later in the show. And then Patrick Everson will wrap us up uh, with an update on sportsbooks in Vegas and how they fared this NFL Sunday. But first... Let's talk about Monday Night Football. We've got a doubleheader, Evan, uh, for Monday Night Football. Packers-Giants and Titans-Dolphins. Let's talk Packers-Giants first. Packers are six-point road favorites, over-under of 36-and-a-half. Now, the Packers, 6-and-6 coming into this game. Nice little win streak that they put on here. Uh, We'll talk about their schedule maybe the rest of the way because uh, once they get past this game, it's still going to be a very light schedule for them. But coming into this game, a lot of injuries for them. No Christian Watson, Jair Alexander and Quay Walker are going to be missing on defense as well. Aaron Jones is questionable coming into the game. But one thing I've noticed is how I know that sportsbooks have changed their mind on Jordan Love because... He's now got plus odds to throw an interception for the first time since week two. And I don't want to keep bringing it back to interceptions, <laughs> but I feel like let the interceptions tell you whether or not they think it's a bad quarterback. Because right now, the last three games, he's looked pretty good. Eight touchdowns, no interceptions, 250 passing yards in each game. And they're playing against a Giants team that plays a ton of man coverage and 30th and DVOA versus the run. I know they're missing a lot of players uh, right now. The Packers have been kind of missing players in and out of the lineup all year, but I don't know if I can back the Giants as home dogs in this spot, Evan. So I, I'm kind of leaning to the Packers here. What is your thoughts on this matchup? I guess we're kind of on opposite sides. I mean, I mean, I, listen, I don't love this game. Plenty of better games on the it's board. It's a gross game. Opinion. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not the best game in terms of uh, the ATS point of view, in my opinion. I, I like the six and a half down to six. I'd probably take the Giants if I had to pick a side. I think everyone would also kind of look at the under. I mean, we just watched Sunday Night Football, which we'll talk about in a second with Cowboys-Eagles. That game went under the total. Uh, It's worth noting, even though it kind of got bucked last week in terms of the trend, but Sunday Night Football, Monday Night Football unders are 33-5 and in their last 38 games. Uh, And we've talked about it, Monday Night Football unders, 13-2 and this year. So kind of been profitable in a few different ways. Now it is 37, um, but I do feel like 37, even 37.5 getting above that number is good. Uh, it's also probably worth talking about here for a second. The floor, as you've seen all the graphics and notes, still 16 and 0 straight up in December. Uh, talked about a lot, but kind of garbage, right? I, I don't even look at that. Five and five in uh, January, so it's just—it's not like he's better this time of year. To right. me, it's just a little bit random. But yeah, I mean, those are the trends. The other thing is the Giants, right? 43, 19 and two to the under since 2020. They're like 23 and six to the under at home too. So. That's been the ride, and I'll probably go that direction. I don't think I'm against it. I mean, they're still converting 
less than 25% of their third downs with Tommy DeVito, a quarterback. They're still 30th in DVOA versus the run. So you know that A.J. Dillon is going to get a nice, healthy share of carries. It's just going to bleed up the clock. Packers are also top 10 in pass yards allowed. Uh, They have allowed eight touchdowns to wide receivers this year, but they're likely going to stack the box and make DeVito throw. I just think the time of possession is going to be so focused on run game that I'm kind of leaning with you as well, that the under 36 and a half is likely the way to go. But I would say, though, if I was going to bet a touchdown scorer in this game, I'd probably be looking at the Giants wide receivers and just kind of banking on one of them to make a play. So I'd be looking at some like the two guys, Wandale Robinson and Jalen Hyatt. They're both around plus 550. I would put what I would do is I would put a half unit on each of them because, Evan, they're both playing heavy snaps over the last two weeks. And Robinson, he's got the lowest A dot of all the wide receivers, and Jalen Hyatt has the highest. So you're at least covering yourself both for that short and long range. And both have actually excelled versus zone coverage as opposed to man coverage, and the Packers play top 10 zone rate in the NFL. So for myself, looking at Saquon Barkley at plus 120 in an offensive game with a 36.5 total, no thanks. I would rather <laughs> bank on one of these two making a busted play touchdown, you know, a garbage time touchdown or something along those lines, especially at those plus 550 odds. Is there anyone from a prop standpoint that you're looking at? Honestly, since I like the Giants a little bit, if I had to pick a side, I was going to split it with the rushing touchdowns. I was going to put probably a larger wager uh, of a unit, larger of a unit on Barkley, mm. and probably the remainder of that unit on DeVito, and assume that. One of those two DPI in the end zone. Yeah, get me a rushing touchdown. Obviously, DeVito be more valuable, but Barkley more likely. So that's probably the way I would have handled it. Yeah, and Barkley has five touchdowns this year, but he has not scored a rushing touchdown since week two versus the Cardinals. Wow. So, uh, just very interesting to see how this offense has performed uh, with this influx of quarterbacks to Rod Taylor and now Tommy DeVito with Daniel Jones out. So it's really hard to trust anything on offense. But uh, if I guess at least this way, you're taking the ball out of Tommy DeVito's hands and putting it in the best player's hands uh, with Saquon. So I completely uh, see why you would go with that there. But Let's talk now about Titans Dolphins. Now the Dolphins are 13 and a half point home favorites with an over under of 46 and a half. And this game reminds me a lot of the matchup of last week where they faced the commanders because the commanders were just one slot behind the Titans in defensive DVOA versus the pass DVOA to wide receiver one and DVOA to deep pass. They're 31st, Washington Commanders were 32nd. Well, when they face a team that like the Commanders, Tyreek Hill went off. He had four catches, 150 yards and two touchdowns at half. It could be a little windy in Miami. Tyreek could end up having another big game, though, around 150 yards. I mean, two, he's third in the NFL in passing yards, around 285 passing yards per game. I think the main thing, too, about the Dolphins that we kind of overlook in this offense is actually how efficient they are running the ball as well because they're second in rushing yards per game they got that two-headed monster Raheem Mostert and Achan so 13 and a half feels like a really big number facing this Titans team especially for a Titans team with Will Levis that is likely going to throw the ball a lot in a trailing game script but I'm not going to be deterred I actually like the Dolphins in this spot to cover this 13 and a half all right so here's a few angles for you uh just kind of blanket stuff that I think a lot of people would be curious about going into this game so in general, double-digit favorites in night games, 69-52-3 against the spread, 57% last 20 years. Usually, taking the points in this situation has been the right side. Now, recently, it doesn't really matter. It's 7-7 seven and seven last two years, and, you know, not so great. 9-14-1 uh, the year before that. So, recently, been pretty much 500. 
Now, when you talked about wind a few seconds ago, so this is one of two games this week that'll have 10 mile an hour winds. Uh, those are 18, six and one to the under this year, uh, 110, 56 and one to the under over the last three years. So been pretty profitable. Like you said, some wind in this game. Uh, now, in terms of like an actionable point of view, I think if the Dolphins and Titans and Levis starts out well in the first half and you mm-hmm. kind of get a closer game, he is 0-6 second half ATS. It's been terrible. So you might want to look at the Dolphins to pull away if, if it's a close first half. Um, but you've mentioned this before. I know we've talked about it on the favorites a ton. Levis has actually just been terrible. So of 41 quarterbacks with at least 100 plays this year, eighth lowest success rate, 57.8% completion percentage, 39 of those 49 quarterbacks. It's been pretty terrible. So I think if they start out in the game, maybe get a Henry touchdown, maybe for some reason it stays close, you might want to look at Miami live, something of that nature. And I think the other angle is Tyree, right? Uh, 1,481 receiving yards through 12 games, most since 1961. The guy is on fire and he's also it's only 519 yards away from 2,483 from the record so you assume Miami is going to give him the ball he's going to get his 100 so you know an SGP of like 100 and a touchdown most likely it's going to hit it most likely will hit but the juice is there the premium oh, is yeah. on that kind of bet now the books have caught on to that because Definitely. uh he's Right now, he had the second highest anytime touchdown odds of the week behind Christian McCaffrey, who was around minus 350, depending on the sports book that you look at. But Tyreek is around minus 220. And you stagger that with the 100 yards, you'll probably get the even odds that'll likely hit. But again, it's just such an uphill battle uh, to get to that spot because a lot could go wrong uh, despite that. But I'm looking right now at DeAndre Hopkins. I know Will Levis hasn't looked great, but right now the price for DeAndre Hopkins to score a touchdown is around plus 295. And the rush defense for the Dolphins since they've gotten Jalen Ramsey has been pretty steady. Uh, But the one thing that has actually been happening over um, the last four games, a wide receiver one has scored on this defense. So you you saw Devontae Adams score. Uh, This has trailing game script written all over it. This has garbage time touchdown to DeAndre Hopkins in my opinion, written all over it. So at plus 295, especially he's very familiar with Jalen Ramsey, both playing in the AFC South a long time. I imagine they'll get into it. They'll probably get a couple, you know, personal foul flags as the game goes, depending on how that game script goes. All right, let's uh, let's move to Sunday games now. So two teams on by this week in week 14, the Commanders and the Cardinals. Neither of those teams are Super Bowl bound or likely going to be a favorite in any game anytime soon. So we can just forget about them and start looking immediately at Sunday night football between the Eagles and the Cowboys. Cowboys win 33 to 13 and the total goes under. But uh, the Cowboys do cover as three and a half point home favorites. The total, as you had mentioned, Evan, goes under of 51 and a half. So that now is six straight home wins for the Cowboys <laughs> over the Eagles. And I would also just point out that the Eagles now have been outgained in seven straight games now. I think that's important to know just of the way that their offense is performing because you could kind of see it from an eye test standpoint, both their offense and defense maybe just struggling. I don't want to call it regressing, but I would just call it a struggle. But the Cowboys did what they had to do. They came out strong in the first half. They got an early turnover. They're a great front-runner team when they get a lead. They now have uh, a point differential in the first half of plus 133 points in the first half. So, uh, yeah, I, I think this was just not a win where I take away a lot other than knowing that what I kind of already thought when we watched the Eagles-Cowboys game in Philly, that the Cowboys can play with the Eagles. 
Yeah, I, I think my perspective of the game was I don't know how much I learned. Like Philly, 10, 11 straight possessions, I believe, at the beginning of this game, dating back to last, they had allowed a touchdown. Their defense yep. has been absolutely atrocious. I, I, I was trying to look it up a second ago. I believe since week six, they were 31st in EPA per play, which between Bradbury and Slay, they're just getting killed back there. And today was just an awful situation versus a Dallas team that usually McCarthy was going to make the mistake to just give them the runs and help out and keep them in the game. Well, for some reason early on, he didn't care. And you saw what can happen, and Dak looked great, you know, but he also had his Dak moments when he fumbles and this, this, and that and gives Philly an opportunity, but it kind of didn't matter in today's game. Like, I know a lot of people like Dallas. Not many people even thought about the Philly side. And it was the opposite, right? When we were looking at the San Francisco game last week, it was the perfect spot for Philly. Well, do you uh, so, think like the defense just look gassed? Like because they look yeah. like they've ran a gauntlet over the last month. If you look at the teams that they've played, that it looks like for the fourth game of a fourth tough opponent in a row, right? And you know the, the other thing that we saw turnover luck definitely shifted uh, yeah. last time when they played in Philly. Philly recovered all three fumbles today. Three fumbles by the Eagles. Cowboys get all of those back. I mean. You knew it was the Cowboys' night when you're watching like Brandon Aubrey just nail 60-yard <laughs> field goals, like going four for four tonight. Now, the good news for the for the Eagles, though, I don't want to completely. I mean, they're ten and three. Both the Cowboys and Eagles now ten and three. The Eagles still pretty much do control their own destiny. And if you look at the opponents of who they have to face coming up here, it's going to be a pretty easy road. I don't want to call them almost like mini buys because you don't want to pretend like you have a win over any NFL team, but here's their schedule coming up. You've got the Seahawks potentially without Geno Smith and Drew Locke at quarterback. Then you have the Giants, then the Cardinals, and then the Giants again to end the year. So uh, you could see four straight wins here would not shock me at all, Evan. I mean, look at Dallas's schedule. Buffalo, Miami, Detroit, and Washington, which could be whatever, but those three games, it's a complete opposite. And that's why mm-hmm. Philly was minus 475 to win the division entering this game. Uh, I don't know if division odds have updated at this point, but I assume Philly's still favored based off that schedule. Uh, and listen, I mean, one team looks like they're going in one direction, one team the other, but that schedule is absolutely brutal. That's what we would take away, Cowboys. They've got the Bills coming up. Let's talk now Bills-Chiefs. So the Bills win 20-17. to Chiefs, that short favorite, didn't really come through today. They were one-point home favorites. Uh, the over-under of 48.5 uh, goes under. And Evan, the Bills stay alive. Uh, this is now the third straight year that Buffalo has gone into Arrowhead and won a game. And now they are one of six teams in the AFC at seven and six. Just a huge logjam for the AFC wildcard spot now. Bills are 50 to one to win the Super Bowl entering this week. Stucky, uh, Stucky bet that. He was posted about yeah, that too. It's a good ticket. It's a good idea. And uh, I liked Buffalo in this game. And if you thought they were going to win this game, it was a good ticket to have because I believe someone was tweeting they were 15, 16, 17 to one in that range. So a uh, heck of a drop there. Uh, I think we have to talk about the the only situation that, if you watch this game, probably matters is the Darius Tony play. At the I end knew of the you game. were going to bring him up. You, okay. have to, you, just, you have to mention it in the sense that, like, okay, Mahomes obviously believes what he believes. Reed believes what he believes. Everyone sure. was really angry at the end of the game. He looked offsides to me. Um, could be the ref's job to bring that up in that situation, which I believe was Sheffers. Um, he doesn't. He says it was completely egregious. Um, 
Kadarius Tony was in the wrong. He was offsides. Uh, it, I mean, it, it's really, really small. The margins are small. It's a crappy, crappy situation, but kind of is what it is. Well, and I would also say I don't want to put all of the blame on Kadarius Tony because, look, you're facing a Bills team that had Josh Allen who didn't really have like an MVP game. Like he had 233 no. passing yards, uh, a rushing touchdown, not really a world class game, but don't turn it over. Like, you know, I, 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 nine straight yeah. games, nine straight games with an interception. It's just, it feels like it's insane at this point. Well, and I think what's insane to me now when you're thinking about this is that the Chiefs back-to-back losses for the first time since week two and week three of uh, 2021 season, only three times in Mahomes' career that he has dropped back-to-back regular season games. And they've now lost three of the last four, two at Arrowhead. So I'd be like, this offense, we've talked about this last week. We talked about it the week before. You could probably just can a, a, a tailored response from one of us to talk about this Chiefs offense, but... These wide receivers, I mean, Kadarius Tony are just really kind of holding them back. You know, Rasheed Rice had a late fumble as well. Three drops today by the wide receivers. Really, uh, I mean, I thought the Chiefs, I almost thought they pulled off the stunner and won the game, you know, with that lateral to Tony. But, you know, uh, for me now, I'm a little kind of worried about where the Chiefs are going here, like as far as what can they do offensively. Now, their schedule coming up, they're going to be able to experiment and be able to, I think, have a little bit of a get right, especially facing the Patriots coming up. Uh, then they've got the Raiders, the Bengals, and the Chargers. So not quite panic season at all for the Chiefs here, but uh, the Bills, their schedule continues to remain hard. They have to play the Cowboys next week and then go to face potentially a Justin Herbertless Chargers. Herbert may be back by then, but we'll see. And then the Patriots and the Dolphins to round out their year. But uh like I said, like I, I think that the Bills are very live from a Super Bowl standpoint, and if you got them at fifty to one prior to this game, uh, kudos to you. Yeah, fun ticket. Uh, I mean, second half unders for the Chiefs, twelve and one. Fourth quarter unders, yep. also twelve and one. It basically, tells the story of their season. They can't figure it out when they need it the most. Their offense seems to be fluttering, and I think today as well, no Pacheco really does hurt when you look at they can't rely on anyone else uh, aside from Kelsey. Uh, difficult listen most Mahomes is the most drops any quarterback uh yep. this season so that that continues to hurt them the stat Chiefs were minus one and a half today at home Mahomes has started 54 career home games he's closed below a two-point favorite just once below before today that was also against the Bills and they also lost so just tough situation Mahomes continues to kind of struggle in these situations and I think over the last it feels like kind of for me, at least the entire season, I've been betting against KC. I just mm-hmm. haven't seen any type of value in their offense. And I feel like we still believe that Mahomes is Mahomes. And sometimes he doesn't. And sometimes today happens. Uh, but I will say, and you mentioned the Chiefs upcoming schedule. Those quarterbacks could be Zappy, Aiden <laughs> O'Connell, Jake yes. Browning, and Easton Stick. So <laughs> What I mean, a slate. Yeah, it could be crazy. But one thing I will say, so Chiefs next week. Uh, Facing Zappy, they're in New England. Right now, it looks like Casey's about nine and a half. That would be the second largest home underdog for Belichick uh, in New England. Uh, Peyton Manning, 2001, they were 11 and a half. So, uh, pretty crazy situation. Yeah, and, and had they not looked so impressive on Thursday Night Football to take down that Steelers team, we might be looking at a double-digit spread here at that <laughs> point. Uh, so, stay tuned to see how that line tracks, but I, I imagine that 
money's going to come in on the Chiefs and push that back to double digits uh, before uh, kickoff. All right, uh, Rams, Ravens. Ravens win 37 to 31 in overtime. And the Ravens, though, they do not cover, though, as seven and a half point home favorites. Uh, but the over hits uh, fairly easily. The over was at 39 and a half. And coming into this week, Evan, this game I thought was going to be the most impacted by weather as far as, you know, rain and wind and really thought that this would limit the passing offenses in this game. But it didn't really seem to matter because we say this every week. If if Matt Stafford gets time to pass, this offense is electric, but the defense just isn't where it was when they won the Super Bowl and they go on that Super Bowl run because the Ravens, they were able to just kind of hang around. They had 450 yards in offense. Uh, it was also the first home game all year that the Ravens trailed. They were trailing 20 to 17 at halftime. They did not look sharp coming out of their bye. I would even say, Evan, that the Rams outplayed the Ravens today because it felt like a coin flip going right down to the wire. But then you see that kick six in overtime by Tylen Wallace to win the game. I mean, honestly, I feel like the Ravens, uh, this was a pretty good week for them. The fact that they were able to escape with that win, the Steelers losing on Thursday night football. We'll talk a little bit more about Browns and Bengals, but uh, I feel like the Ravens, uh, they got a little lucky, but at the same time, they just hung around, just make sure to steal that win. Yeah, let's start with the Rams. Impressed by Stafford. Played well. Weather wasn't fantastic. You know, there's some bad history there, but he played pretty well. It's the most points Stafford has scored in an outdoor game in over two years. So situation worked. He was putting the ball in the right spots. There was a float pass that he had in the end zone early in the game that was just gorgeous. He And that catch by Puka late. Mm. Oh, man. I mean, Two-handed so, double-dive catch, man. Mm. The Rams looked good. They probably should have won this game. Uh, and we've talked about this uh, before, but Lamar kind of just struggles when he is supposed to win games by big numbers. Now, people talk about the spread and this, this, and that, you know, believe what you want to believe, but it's a barometer. So over the past three seasons, Lamar, 6-0 and ATS as an underdog. He's 12-19 and as a favorite. But more importantly, when he's laying more than three points, 5-16 and against the spread, worst mark in the NFL, that's damning. That's like not a great situation, especially when Baltimore is so good and supposed to be a uh, AFC top seed contender. Um, mm-hmm. You noted it before. I will just say this. Yep. So Ravens first game trailing entering the fourth quarter this season. It was a type of the third longest streak in NFL history. So they were doing an excellent, excellent job before they ran into just a inconsistent defensive game and a really good Stafford. Um, but impressive. So Ravens now 10 and three. They've got Jacksonville coming up. Uh, Trevor Lawrence did end up playing this week. I'm shocked that he did play, but uh, we're going to talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars here in a bit. But uh, they've got the Jags, then they've got the Diners, then they play the Dolphins and the Pittsburgh Steelers to round out the year. Uh, I still think the division is theirs. I, I still think that they'll be able to be competitive in those games, but not exactly an easy slate the rest of the way, especially when you look at the Browns schedule, for example, who are eight and five. And they've got Chicago, Houston, Jets, and Cincy. And all their quarterback situations are a little bit dire right now. And yeah, I just, I'm not ready to just stamp the seal of approval that the Ravens got this division in play, but they are very much in play now to at least have conference one seed with the way that the Jaguars have regressed, the Dolphins with their upcoming schedule, and the Chiefs now falling to eight and five. But the Rams, I thought you made a good point, you know, looked really good. They had a three-game win streak coming into this game. They're now 6-7. and seven. 
not necessarily completely out of the playoff picture in the NFC, but they likely need to go three and one to make the playoffs the rest of the way. They've got the Commanders, the Saints, the Giants, and the 49ers. Seems pretty doable. It really does. Uh, I was just going to say, by the time you get to the 49ers, they may not care. Mm -hmm. They may want to knock you out if you care. Um, But either way, it's a interesting situation considering they look so formidable week in and week out, right? Like they feel like they can put up points. You know, even today when everyone thought that maybe this was going to be the dud, the egg. Not so much. Looks great. All right, let's move to Buccaneers, Falcons, NFC South wild picture here. Bucks win 29 to 25. Falcons, again, as favorites, do <laughs> not cover and do not win outright uh, as two point home favorites. And the total of 41 goes over. So, as a result of the win today from the Bucks, they now lead the NFC South. And we're going to talk about their schedules between what the Bucks have coming up as well as the Falcons. But I thought Baker Mayfield looked pretty good, even though you don't necessarily have the counting stats. But every time you would flash back over to that Bucks game, they were driving down the field. I thought they really discovered a new run game as well with Rashad White. They're giving him 20-plus carries in four of the last five games. Second half of this game, though, Evan, was a complete shootout. 31 points scored in the second half. And honestly, I thought Desmond Ritter, if you look at his passing stats, they were mostly empty calories. I mean, he did throw for 347 yards. He ran for a touchdown. But in the first half, he just made, he had an interception. You know, just some of the play calls that they were making and, and he was trying to execute on third down were just driving me crazy. Um, and Youngway Koo missed two field goals in the first half. And that might have ultimately been the reason why they end up losing this game. Obviously, some of it is, you know, Baker Mayfield being able to drive down the field. But when you lose by four and you're giving up six points, especially six of those points that where they were very easily makeable field goals indoors, it's really got to shatter some confidence for the Falcons. Yeah, let's hit on you. You've made some you made some really good points there. So let's kind of start from the top a little bit. It's the Bucks first place. They were plus 750 to win the division during the season as of now. That is the longest odds for any division leader. So your Bucks are kind of the story at the moment, uh, mm-hmm. sitting in first place in this division. Uh, worth noting that Tampa Bay is 1-1 one one versus Atlanta, 1-0 versus New Orleans. They still have a game versus the Saints coming up. Yep. Uh, and in division games, Tampa Bay 3-1, and one, Atlanta 3-1, and one, New Orleans 2-2. Two and two. So Tampa Bay kind of controls whatever they want to do going forward, which is crazy. Uh, second thing is probably just Baker in general. Two touchdowns, no interceptions, 29 points, a road win. He only took one sack. Yeah, he had 144 yards and less than 50% completion percentage, but whatever. doesn't matter. It was a great game, great performance. Uh, I kind of got to give it to him. Uh, and listen, it's also been the Bucks road that have been really, really good. It's, it's kind of crazy. I was looking. So Baker's thrown two touchdowns and zero picks four times this year already, all on the road. Now, Tampa Bay's 2-2 two and two in those games, but Tampa's 6-1 and one against the spread on the road, best record in the NFL. Uh, so, kind of got to give it to him. I was completely wrong. If you listen to anything in the preseason, I was a Falcons guy. Today was the Falcons' game. This was their game to win, to take control of the division, to kind of move forward in any type of futures or things you had in this team because everyone liked defensive additions and the offense and this was the game that Ritter gave up 9 to 11 to 14 points, depending how you look at it, in fumbles and safeties. It was a mess. It was just – and 
you know, I looked it up because I wanted to back it up, but he has 19 turnover-worthy plays this year in just 11 games, tied for fifth and most in the NFL. What you are seeing on the screen when you are watching Ritter play quarterback is exactly what's telling you on paper. Uh, and Atlanta would just be a much better team uh, without him in the mix. The Action Network podcast is presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get up to $1,500 paid back in bonus bets if your first bet loses. For new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming, terms and conditions apply, must be 21 or older, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now it's time for the hot read from our own Brandon Anderson. Brandon, what do you have us looking at for early Week 15 lines? Hot wrap! Blue 17! Nice right! Ice cream! Jose! Blue the Raiders! 19 salad! 19! Louisville Soul Train! All right, Week 15 hot read. We went 1-1 one and one this week. Texans, Jets, under... Hits by one point only if you played the hot read. You missed if you waited too long. That's why we grabbed the CLV early. Hot read 17, 8, and 1 on the season now, 68%. We're on to the next week. We're playing two unders this week. It's going to be gross. We're starting with the grossest one yet. Thursday night unders. You know I love them. Chargers, Raiders, under 34.5. Look, these teams today had one score combined. They scored seven points on a touchdown. That's it. Justin Herbert has a broken index finger on his throwing hand. Short week, there's almost no way we're getting Herbert in this game, especially their season's gone anyway. So Easton Stick season. It's the season of the sticks. My guy from NDSU. I did not ever think I'd see him in the pros, and I think we're going to see why on Thursday night. I don't think it's going to go well for him. It was not great today. Josh Jacobs left hurt. I don't think we get to see him Thursday night. He's been the main weapon for the Raiders under Antonio Pierce. Raiders get shut out today. They have scored 18 points or less all but two games this season. They've gone under this number in games five times already, even as low as it is. Their games are averaging 35 and a half. So right there at the number with Antonio Pierce down to under 30 points per game in Raiders games. Now, As bad as the Raiders' offense was, no points. Their defense has actually gotten pretty good. They, in the last five games, 13th in DVOA, top 10 against the pass, and obviously those numbers probably are going to get better after holding the Vikings to only three points. They are still bad against the run, but the Chargers can't run the football anyway. They have a horrendous success rate. They're not going to be hurting them there. As for the Chargers' offense, they're supposed to be good. Last three games, 10 points. Six points, seven points, that's it. And that was with Justin Herbert. Now it's stick, lots of injuries there. Brandon Staley, I think, is a dead man walking at this point. Raiders and Chargers are both 10-3 and to the under this season. And then you know the trends. Primetime under, we love them. 61% the last four years, 69% so far this year heading into Sunday night. Under is at 37 or below. They look scary. They're hitting for us. Last four calendar years, 76% to the under. And then Thursday night unders. I love my low Thursday night unders. 40 or below since 2010 are 19 and 5, 79% hit rate. But they're not just hitting. They're hitting by 9.2 points a game. So the numbers suggest we go way under this. 
this is gross, but there is only one direction this line is moving. It's going to go down. Give me the Chargers, Raiders under 34 and a half. And then let's stay in prime time. Let's go to Sunday night and go Ravens, Jaguars under 43 and a half. Now, look, this line actually rose today by a field goal. That's because Trevor Lawrence played, right? We don't know if he'd be back even next week, let alone this week. But before the season, this was at 39 and a half. So it went from 39 and a half before the season, 40 and a half this morning, 43 and a half now. I'm not totally sure why. Baltimore has the number one defense in the league. Jacksonville's defense has been way better than expected. So I'm not totally sure why this number is going so high. And those numbers that we crossed, 40, 41, 43, those are all key numbers in total. So that move is actually pretty significant. Like these teams both came into the weekend top six in DVOA. The Ravens are the number one rushing attack. The Jaguars are an elite run defense. They have been for a couple of years already. They're number three in run DVOA. Pass defense is good. Ravens passing game hasn't quite been the same without Mark Andrews. So I don't see a ton of points for Baltimore on the road. Jacksonville can't run the football. They depend heavily on the pass. And Baltimore is the number one pass defense. So I don't know how that's going to go for them. Especially Trevor Lawrence still probably not totally healthy. That offensive line, definitely not healthy. They might be missing their top two guys again. Mike McDonald and all that pass rushing pressures. I think that could go not great for Jacksonville as well. Ravens games, eight of their 13 games are at 44 points or below. So that puts us right in range here. And again, with the primetime under, 61% last four years, 69% this year. Games with the home underdog, 61% to the under the last three years. And one other thing that actually could buy us a ton of CLV if this goes our way. Right now, one week out, weather forecast for Sunday night, 15 mile an hour winds and over 50% chance of rain now. So a week away, I would never play something on just a weather hunch a week out. But if I like the under anyway, if we get nasty weather like that, games with 10 mile an hour winds or higher last three seasons, 64% to the under. That's just going to only push this number down. You know, folks will be coming in on the under. We saw that happen with so many lines this week. So let's grab it now. I like the under anyway, and this number could end up really moving in our favor. If there's another Lawrence injury update, if there's a weather update, Ravens, Jags under 43 and a half. So week 15, hot reads, we're going low. We're staying in prime time. Thursday night, Chargers, Raiders under 34 and a half. Sunday night. Ravens, Jags, under 43 and a half. All right, Evan, let's look at Colts, Bengals. Bengals win 34 to 14. Don't want to call it a shocker of a win, but I mean, the Bengals now carrying over momentum from that last Monday night football game over the Jaguars and now another win over the Colts. Uh, The total does go over a 44 and the Bengals do cover as two point home favorites. But as I just said, the Bengals now and the Colts both at seven and six. So you're going to hear that number a lot because right now I believe there's five teams in the AFC all at seven and six, uh, the Texans included as well, along with the Bills. Um, but right now, if the playoffs were to start today, the Colts would have the seven seed uh, based on conference record. Uh, because we talked about three AFC South playoff teams. I'm not so sure after today. And you were giving me kind of vibes last week about how you cannot trust the Colts. There's too much chaos with Minshew. And this was just a complete luck box shatter for the Colts, a disaster start for the Colts. 
You get that long touchdown by the Bengals, and the Bengals then miss a field goal. And I don't think I've seen this penalty call very often, uh, but Colts get penalty for leverage on the missed field goal, automatically giving the Bengals a first down. They score a touchdown right after. Uh, again, that that luck I thought was running out, but then they get the pick six on Browning and. You know, as the game kind of went on, you could start to see where this Bengals uh, run offense was really starting to carry them. But I guess what I have to ask you, Evan, leaving this game, Jake Browning. Okay, so he's looked pretty good. I, I, look, I'm just going to say it. He, I have to say it. He's looked pretty good in back-to-back weeks. And that's a lot from me saying what I what talked about him last week where we were talking about how Sean Kerner had him as rated as one of the, if not the worst, backup quarterback in the league when it came to spread differential between the starter and backup. So I have to ask you, Evan, do we trust Jake Browning? Or is the bar just like lower now for competent quarterback play because of all the backups that are out there? All right, so I like where you're headed here because we'll start with the team who won. Uh, I mean, Browning got hurt in the game. He McCarran did, thumb injury. Yeah, McCarron came in and played. So I'm not exactly sure what the status is going for, especially Cincinnati's on a short week. They have to play Minnesota on Saturday at home. So... We'll kind of see how that goes going forward. But let's kind of take Browning's past and present before we talk about the future since we don't really know what's going to happen. Um, his last two games have been unreal. So 18 to 24, 275, 2 and 1 today. 32 to 37, 354, 1 last week. Dimes. His 79.3% completion percentage is the highest completion percentage by a quarterback in his first three starts since 1950. I don't need to say. Anything more than that, other than the Bengals' entire season has been maybe one of the craziest roller coasters we've seen, right? The one and three start. They won four straight. They lost three straight. Now, no Burrow, and Browning's won two straight. So the thing with Cincinnati that kind of just gets me a little curious at where they're going is five of their last six games could be versus backups, right? So, could, I mean, Depending, you, you assume Lawrence plays. So let's assume yeah. Lawrence plays. Then you got Minshew, Dobbs or Mullins, maybe Trubisky after that. Then you got Mahomes. And then you end with Flacco. So the opportunity elite. is, yeah. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say Flacco, oh. elite. <laughs> he is very elite. But, but listen, the opportunity is there for a Cincinnati team that feels like it's a cat and been go- and has had nine lives, right? It, we've, been, mm-hmm. we've made them dead six times already this year. Um, but they're still around. I don't know what to make of Jake Browning because every time I see him play, he seems extremely accurate as this, this, this statistics show. He seems very competent. He did have the pick six, but doesn't look I, flustered. Yeah. The thing is we've seen so much worse quarterback play mm-hmm. that, you know, a pick six for a guy who doesn't seem flustered and seems competent in his throws and knows what he's doing. And you know, I don't think Zach Taylor is a great coach. I don't think anyone thinks that I think Jake and himself is just a decent quarterback. I also think the support system helps. I think it helps when you have a running back that you can lean on, like Mixon, you can just dump it off in the passing game. When you have an outside threat like J- uh, Jamar Chase, who could definitely beat one-on-one coverage like we saw against the Jaguars. Even T. Higgins was making plays today, so that was really helpful because he had been missing for a couple of games. If you were just blind-eyed and you just looked at those stats, <laughs> and if somebody had told you that Burrow did that over the last two games with two rushing touchdowns, we would be talking about the Bengals just roaring back to kind of win the Super Bowl right now. So I'm, I, I think one thing I just want to say is with Jake Browning, it's a nice story, but you've got Minnesota coming up. 
Then you've got Pittsburgh and KC and Cleveland. It's not going to be an easy way all the way down. But at the same time, they definitely could sneak in. I'm just not sure after the first round, like if they're going to really be able to do anything other than maybe just get a like maybe an upset win in the wild card round. But once we get to the divisional round, I think they could just be an easy write off at I'll, that I'll stage. I'll say one one thing for a bet. So Minnesota's playing Cincinnati next week. Mm-hmm. Based off what you see, saw with Minnesota today and what you saw with Mullins and Dobbs, and then what you saw at a Cincinnati's defense, what they did to uh, Indy's rush game, Zach Moss thirteen to twenty eight. Indian general is 18 to 46. I don't know how you don't like the under 40, 40 and a half if you can get it. I already see it kind of ticking down. So uh, by the time you listen to this, kind of see where the total is. Yeah, absolutely. And then also just for the Colts, you know, they had a four-game win streak broken, but uh, they've got the Steelers, Falcons, Raiders, and Texans to close out the year. Uh, should be interesting to see if the uh, the Colts voodoo continues. I know that Evan is not high on the idea of the Colts <laughs> remaining, especially with Gardner Minshew, a quarterback who again had a full Minshew day, like you know, interception, but you know, just third down conversion rate just wasn't there. And you know, the Bengals defense again, that infrastructure, they still have a pretty solid defense. They're able to get to the quarterback, so uh, it should be interesting to see how they fare uh, this next Saturday against this Vikings offense that uh, only managed to put up three points today. We'll talk about that and somehow one uh, as well. Uh, uh, but speaking of the way that the Bengals are, they're seven and six right now in the AFC North, but uh, we're going to stick with the AFC North and talk about the Cleveland Browns who have a very impressive win today over the Jaguars win 31 to 27. And the Browns do cover as two and a half point favorites. The over hits very easily at 33 and a half because Joe Flacco, 38 years old. He's only a little bit younger than me, but he's throwing multi-touchdown pass games in an NFL game just coming off the couch. Uh, I mean, the Browns passing offense all year has been just a complete disaster. They only had four games this year with multiple passing touchdowns. Well, Flacco has two of them already. Uh, There's a meme and stack going around that Flacco uh, has one less passing touchdown than Kenny Pickett this year through two games. Uh, But... uh, the story for me, while I'm obviously it should be interesting to see how the Browns fare the rest of the way. They're eight and five now. They've got the Bears, the Texans, the Jets, and the Bengals to close the year. So feeling pretty good about their playoff chances at this stage. But the biggest shocker to me, Evan, I was really shocked that Trevor Lawrence played today because the way that he was carried off the field and just, you know, the way that he was limping and how bad it looked, I thought he was going to be out for at least this game and maybe even the next game. So he tried hard, and obviously it was definitely an upgrade over what C.J. Beathard might have showed in this game, but he had two interceptions in the first half. Like, he did not look like he could really move in the pocket. This is not really the defense that you want uh, to try to go out there and not be mobile because this Browns defense, while they did struggle the week before against the Rams, they're still fairly elite in the secondary as far as passing is concerned. And, yeah, I mean, I know that he finished the game 20 for 50 with, 257 yards and three touchdowns but if you were watching the game he definitely looked compromised yeah uh simon talked about this on the favorites earlier uh i agree with him 110 percent. you gotta look against jacksonville next week just based off of what you were seeing from lawrence in this game i cannot believe they played him in this game he had no mobility i mean he he listen he's a great quarterback so if you're going to play him even on one leg it's most likely going to look better than what C.J. Beathard's going to be. Able yeah, to absolutely. Get. Yeah, That's why and, you but you were to... right. They, they've got the Ravens coming up now, and then the Bucks right after the Raven game. 
how do you not give him more rest for a game? Listen, you were in Cleveland. You were facing one of the best pass rushes, defenses, mm-hmm. units, like, you know, all, all together that you can think of in a not not the best weather situation in Cleveland. In you know, it's just it absolutely made no sense to rush him out there in that situation. But now they lost the game, and now going forward, you do have a you know it's just it's a tough thing. And obviously, listen before this, Jaguars had they'd uh, covered ten straight road neutral games, which is the longest streak in the last twenty years. So that streak got broken today. Um, but I kind of got to give it to Flacco. And I think you have to not only give it to Flacco, but kind of question the quarterback position as a whole in the NFL when someone like this enters the league. No, I'm just saying, but like someone like this enters the league, right? And is able to be so competent, right? So, uh, such a good, um, it's not even game manager. It's someone who comes in and is able to give your offense basically something close to what it was before and not turn over the ball. And it's just really nice to see. The only thing that is really sad about the Flacco situation is that they don't play Baltimore the mm-hmm. rest of the way. Well, what it reminded me of is when the old dude plays pickup with you, right? He, <laughs> he knows how he knows how to hold you properly before he cuts. He, he knows like how to like kind of just – not dribble too much so he doesn't get turned over not to use basketball analogies but that's what it reminded me of is just the old dude a pickup who just knows how to play the game and that's what Flacco really knows how to do is play quarterback the thing is we the last memory we had of Flacco was in that Jets offense last year where they just did not have the weapons that they have uh this year in comparison but then also the Browns weapons just are far superior to what he was maybe used to maybe in that final uh, years like in Denver and, and with New York as well. So the Browns, when you have a strong defense like that, you don't really need a top quality quarterback play. You just need not to regress where you're having Deshaun Watson, PJ Walker, Dorian Robinson, Thompson Robinson, rather (laughs) Robinson Thompson, whatever you want to call him, Dorian Thompson Robinson. Uh, Uh, out there where you're constantly in third and long constantly in second and 15 like you know those kinds of positions where you're just not able to kind of get over the hump and push the ball downfield and Joe Flacco knows how to throw a good deep ball as well and get a good decent DPI every once in a while I mean him and David Njoku they were on fire today two touchdowns today was a very strong connection so uh, the Browns got the Bears coming up Houston Jets Cincy feeling pretty good about them in the AFC and the Jags starting to maybe trend down. We're going to be in a very tough spot playing the Ravens next week. All right, Evan, let's move over to Seahawks 49ers. We don't have to talk too much about this game, but the Seahawks do cover as 13 and a half point underdogs final score of 28 to 16. And the total does go under, but, uh, Really, I mean, Brock Purdy and this and this 49ers offense, they just continue to hum, you know, 19 for 27 from the field for Brock Purdy, career high in passing yards as well, two touchdowns. He did end up throwing an interception earlier in the game, but it didn't really cost them. Um, yeah, I mean, really the th- main thing that I just take away from this is that Drew Locke is a step down from Geno Smith. I think we know this now, uh, but the Niners – with that win over the Seahawks, they're now 10 and three. Then they've got the Cardinals and then they play the Ravens and commanders and Rams. They could easily sweep the board here in this spot. But uh, the Seahawks, as we talked about with that Ravens uh, game coming up a uh, very dire situation. If you're going to be starting drew lock against that defense. Yeah. A few notes for me uh, on this one. So uh, Seahawks close 14 and a half 
That was actually the largest underdog for Pete Carroll in his career, 424 games, USC and the NFL. So he's never closed that big of an underdog in his career. Um, Obviously, they covered. Uh, He's done a pretty good job as an underdog, so that's good. Uh, Locke, in general, uh, listen, fun story, but he's lost seven straight starts. He hasn't won a game in three years. So, I mean, that's kind of what you got, but I think Seattle was probably lucky to cover in a few ways. But to me, the story, and I think worth maybe at least 30 seconds right now, is Brock Purdy and his season and what he's doing is absolutely ridiculous. So right now, he has 3,553 yards on just 359 passes. He's averaging 9.9 yards per attempt, which right now, minimum 100 pass attempts since 1966 is the highest ever. Uh, He's right now just a hair above Kurt Warner's season in 2000, which he had in just 11 games. So when you talk about that and Purdy's efficiency and what the 49ers are doing, then you watch Sunday Night Football with Dak, I think the MVP race potentially at the moment is just still down to those two guys. They both Mm -hmm. played very, very well this week, but those Purdy numbers are just stupid. I will say this, though, when it comes to the award race, why Purdy might have a little knock against him, while also Christian McCaffrey might have a little knock against himself as well for Offensive Player of the Year because they're almost competing against each other for the same awards. Like Brock, That's fair. you could say, well, look at Debo. He you know, had two, has had two rushing touchdowns in the last two weeks and then another receiving touchdown. Like, look how dominant he is. Christian McCaffrey runs for 75 yards on the opening play of the game, like to put them in scoring position. So yes, the Niners, their defense, and obviously their offensive weapons make it very easy, maybe for Brock Purdy to be in those successful positions. But I I would just say the same thing, like with Christian McCaffrey for offensive player of the year, it's the same reasoning of why Tyreek Hill has that edge, A, just because he's so close to 2000 yards, but B, because you could point to look at Debo dominating snaps from the backfield as well, or look how awesome Brock Purdy has been playing as well. Like there's a lot of byproduct of each other, but this this Niners team, when they're fully loaded, it's difficult to envision what team is going to take them down if they're fully, fully staffed. Right. So uh, that should be interesting to see. Like, again, they have the Cardinals coming up. I imagine they'll probably be (laughs) the look ahead. I remember was close to like, 14 and a half, I believe it's probably going to climb up to maybe even closer to 17 and a half, probably by the time kickoff arrives. Uh, Okay. So Broncos chargers Broncos went 24 to seven and the chargers as usual, as favorites do not cover or win outright. And uh, the total goes under of 44 Broncos with a nice little bounce back, uh, get back to seven and six. Um, But yeah, Justin Herbert, I mean, he got hurt in the second quarter. That pretty much swung the game. He doesn't return. You're starting to see Easton stick in the game. The Chargers are pretty much a write-off if he's out. Uh, and then also the the Chargers, they have the Raiders coming up here on Thursday Night Football. If that finger injury is as bad as the as they were indicating in the game, he's likely not going to play on Thursday Night Football as well. So you're going to see more of Easton stick. Uh, but the Broncos, 7-6, and six, they've got – the Lions, the Patriots, Chargers, and Raiders. And they're only one game back of the Chiefs now in the AFC West. This was an elimination game, in my opinion. It was, you know, even if Herbert played and they lost, they have eight losses in the AFC. It's going to be tough. Even if you want out or anything, I think the Chargers season's done. We talked about a fractured right index finger, uh, supposed to have an MRI. Uh, at this point, 
you might just want to say, okay, I think we're, I think Bench we're, here. I think we're, I think it's over. Um, just worth noting and just kind of like, if it is over for Herbert this season, 30 and 33 as a starter in 63 starts, four years, at, four years at quarterback right now for the Chargers defense, 23rd, 29th, 21st, and 19th in defensive points rank. Uh, He's top 15 in points and, and yards in all four years. So he's done his job. Defense really hasn't. And it's kind of just turned into what it is. So just a tough situation for the Chargers going forward. Uh, the Broncos, on the other hand, mm-hmm. six and one in the last seven games. They're trying Turn to join around. the, think about this. They're trying to join the 1970 Bengals, 2015 Chiefs, 2018 Colts, and 2020 Washington is the only team to start one and five and make the playoffs. Uh, they are fighting right now. Now, I will say this. Uh, I have to look what the line is, but I do kind of like Detroit next week. Detroit is at home against Denver. It is Saturday night. Uh, you have three games on Saturday this week. This is the Saturday night game. Detroit right now minus four, it looks like, but feels like to me one team that is, you know, Denver coming off, you know, a crazy streak right now. And Detroit, who's a little desperate, looking pretty bad recently. Goff is, as people tend to call him, a pumpkin recently as well. I, I think it's a good uh, Detroit spot. Um, so that's the other thing I kind of look at with this one. Yeah, Detroit gets to play in a dome pretty much the rest of the way. And uh, we're going to talk about how their offense kind of sputtered in Chicago uh, today. But uh, yeah, the Broncos... I mean, their run offense has really just taken off. They've got five rushing touchdowns this year, but four just over the last three games as part of this uh, win streak. And Cortland Sutton, if he just keeps making improbable catches in the end zone, this passing offense is going to continue to excel because now he has 10 touchdowns this year. I'm willing to bet seven of them are highlight real type of catches where he's just kind of slowly, like just barely got both feet in kind of thing. And uh, I cashed on him this week at over plus 200. I'll be shocked if he's over plus 200 again going forward, especially facing uh, the Lions here coming up on Saturday. All right, we got a few games left. We're going to wrap this up quickly because a lot of duds. Uh, Panthers-Saints, Saints went 28-6. to Total goes under, and the Saints do cover as six-point favorites, uh, but the total of 39, as I said, does go under. But just a classic moment, Evan, of Derek Carr up. <laughs> two scores and getting booed on his home field the entire game because even the Saints crowd is just sick of the shit of just watching how awful they are on third down. And somehow Bryce Young played worse than Carr did. Like he was 13 for 36 from passing, 137 passing yards. Like, I mean, the Panthers, they don't want to give up the top pick. Like they would have a better chance to win with Andy Dalton right now, a quarterback. The way that they looked in, I think it was week three against Seattle. They were moving the ball very efficiently down the field. And this is the Panthers' season in a nutshell, Evan. They get to the Saints' one-yard line in the third quarter. They can cut it to one score. Miles Sanders, minus one rush yard. Bryce Young sack for minus nine yards. Incomplete pass. They take a field goal. There were three red zone sacks on Bryce Young. Back-to-back drives for the (laughs) Panthers. And they cannot score a touchdown in this game. I'll give you two things on Bryce Young, which I looked up earlier. It just it kind of shows you how tough of a season he's had. So today he was 13 of 36 passing. Since 2000, Bryce is just the third quarterback to have 13 or fewer completions on 36 or plus attempts. And he's the first since 2007, and Tony Romo did it. And how about this one? 
So Bryce's yards per attempt this year, 5.26. We've had 76 first-round quarterbacks in the Super Bowl era. Bryce's current yards per attempt would be the second worst for a full year. So he is absolutely – now that's not top picks. That's not top 10 picks. That's first-round quarterbacks. Uh, so that is a not a great list for Bryce. No, I have nothing to add to that. All right, Texans, Jets. Uh, Jets win 30-6. to six. A uh, total of 33 does go over, but the Texans as road favorites of three and a half uh, do not win or cover. And really, I mean, the main takeaway, there was a concussion for C.J. Stroud, uh, had to leave the game in the fourth quarter. I mean, this game was 0-0 at halftime. I mean, both teams combined two for 14 from third down at half. There was 11 first half punts, uh, but the Jets somehow scored 16 points uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, they averaged... 15 and a half per game. Like, you know, so uh, the, the the fourth quarter, I don't really want to take too much away from it. But uh, yeah, the Texans offense, they had a ton of injuries coming into the game. They probably shouldn't have been such a favorite over, at least over a field goal in this spot. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm not really going to take anything away from it other than the fact that the Texans now have the Titans, Browns, they have the Titans twice, and then the Colts to finish off the year. So three divisional games where they could potentially maybe steal the AFC South back. I don't know, depending on what we see from the Jaguars and what we see maybe next week when they play the Ravens. But uh, that is Texans, Jets. Lions, Bears. Bears win 28-13. to The Lions, as three-point road favorites, do not win or cover. But the total of 43 goes under. And if you had the under, you were sweating the second half the entire time because there were 23 points at halftime. And the Lions were held scoreless in the second half. And Dan Campbell in this game was just me playing Madden, dude. Like, it was almost funny. Like, fourth and ten, fuck it, let's go for it. You know, from their own 35, fuck it, let's go for it. They end up going over three on fourth down just in the second half. And now, as you mentioned, they've got that Broncos game coming up and the Vikings twice along with the Cowboys. But the key thing to take away from this is why I'm not really totally panicking on the Lions yet is they're nine and four. And all of those games are going to be played in a dome. Yeah, uh, Goff, 161 pass yards today. His fewest with 30-plus attempts since 2016. He has looked really, really bad. So they got to figure it out. But again, we always talk about the indoor-outdoor. Uh, 31 and 16 ATS indoors. He moved to 34, 35, and 2 ATS outdoors and put him 9, 15, and 1 in December and January. So he just tends to struggle in these spots. But I think Denver might, might be a get-right, but we'll see. All right, let's finish it off here, Evan, because I have seen a lot of frozen pizza games in my day. <laughs> I, I think of Broncos Colts last year that went 12 to 9 uh, in prime time. But this one, you might as well be shipping it from the South Pole, dude, because this was a shit-tastic game from the Vikings and Raiders. The Vikings win 3 to nothing. Uh, that's right, 3 to nothing in a total of 40 and a half, a total that was going up, by the way, in an indoor game. And the Vikings uh, push at three, depending on what you got. If you got three, you got to push. It might have closed at two and a half by kickoff. If you got that number, congrats. But uh, the Vikings overall did push. But the pastronaut time is over, I think, because even Kevin O'Connell gets sick of this shit. Nick Mullins comes in for Dobbs in the fourth quarter. And it was just such so sad, too, because... Like, I had Justin Jefferson on my fantasy team. He comes back. Mm -hmm. He ends up leaving in the first quarter with a tough hit uh, in the chest. Uh, but, yeah, 16 combined punts. <laughs> Honestly, man, I, like, what can you say? Like, both teams played hard. 
That's all yeah. really all I got to say about this game. <laughs> it's the second three. Uh, it's the second game then three nothing in the last thirty years. The other one was the two thousand seven Mud Bowl. If anyone remembers that between the Dolphins and Steelers, that was a just an absolute mess. Uh, the real fun one though. So Vikings Raiders is the eighth three nothing game since nineteen fifty. The other seven were all played outdoors. So you just you just watch the first three nothing game in a dome indoors. Like you just. You just have to relegate both teams. It's just the, the grossest thing you've probably ever seen. Uh, and then the stat someone made me look up is really, I'm going to say someone made me look it up because someone brought it to my attention and I had to, but Raiders closed plus three and ended up a push. Teams getting shut out are now four, 252 and three ATS in the wildcard era. Uh, so unreal. If you bet the Raiders today, which I did, and I got the three points, use that money well. And the Vikings are still in the playoff picture. They're seven yeah. and six right now, and they would have the sixth seed if the playoffs started today, uh, which is why we were so kind of maybe high on the Rams here coming up because they're six and seven. And depending on how this Packers game goes, uh, the Rams might still be able to sneak in here uh, in that spot. Uh, but yeah, what a way to end Sunday to watch a game and three to nothing, especially in the afternoon slate when we were watching like Eagles uh, or pardon me, uh, Chiefs bills and just such a nice little afternoon slate that you was going use, here. You could use this one. So uh, next week, Raiders, as you talked about, play the Chargers on Thursday night football teams to get shut out 29, 13 and three ATS in their next game since 2015. So if you want a reason to play Thursday night football, maybe maybe you take Aiden O'Connell. All right, now let's check in with Patrick Everson with Vegas Insider to see how Sportsbook fared in Las Vegas for Week 14. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me back on the Action Network podcast. It's been an interesting week of NFL. Definitely better for the bookmakers this week than the last couple of weeks where favorites pretty much had their way, which means public betters very much had their way. Wouldn't say it was necessarily a losing weekend for the betters overall, but the books uh, the books got the better of it. Some give and take, but from talking with multiple odds makers on this Sunday, it was definitely a better day for the books than for the betters. And talking with Scott Shelton behind the counter for Bet MGM Nevada, he said the early games were really good. Noted a couple of totals that actually were pretty key with the Jets and the Browns games both going over, weather impacting both of those games, especially that Jets-Texans game. Everybody was betting the under in that one. So uh, they needed those to go over. He said the Lions losing outright to Chicago. He said that was a massive parlay buster, money line parlay buster. He said the later slate was pretty good with Seattle covering and the Broncos and Bills both winning outright. He said what they didn't need out of the Sunday night game, which obviously was the game of the week, was they did not need an Eagles win. So that was the only outcome where they would lose. If the Rams had beaten the Ravens outright, which was not out of the question, the Ravens went in overtime on a 76-yard punt return. So if the Rams had won that game outright, it could have been a historic winning day. But because the Ravens won, BetMGM Nevada's got a couple of money line parlays, significant money line parlays that included the Ravens, and those rolled to Monday night. So they'll have to see exactly where they finish based on how these two Monday games finish up and, and what happens with those money line parlays. Now, BetMGM nationally, Christian Cipollini said a pretty good day overall for them as well, kind of mirroring to a degree what Scott said. He said, uh, really, the Eagles' money line was the big liability tonight against Dallas, Sunday night against Dallas, and obviously that liability got wiped out because the Cowboys rolled in that game. So, again, not a bad day for the books. Uh, Talked with one odds maker who said it was a pretty good day, but they did end up giving some back on the Cowboys tonight, winning and covering. Obviously, Cowboys are going to be a public play, and they were probably in some, uh, certainly in some money line parlays and so forth as well. Now, 
looking to the Monday night games. We got two games, so I'll just give you a little spread activity. This is from BetMGM a little bit earlier on Sunday. Obviously, this is going to come out Monday, and the bulk of the action on these two games is going to come in over the course of the day Monday, so a lot of this could change, and perhaps significantly. But Dolphins getting a ton of play at BetMGM on the spread, even with that fat number. Five to one tickets, nine to one money on the spread. And then in the other game on Monday night, Packers against the Giants. A lean toward the Packers on the spread, 68% of tickets, 56% of money on Green Bay against the Giants, on the road against the Giants. But I will say there's a there's a, a similar lean the other way to Giants on the money line at 54% of bets, 61% of tickets at Betham Gym. Now, again, the bulk of tickets and money will come in on these games over the course of the day on Monday. And so these things could change or even get more enhanced, perhaps uh, the, you know, especially in that first game that the, the, uh, the Titans could end up being a bigger need there against the Dolphins than they already are. I will also say in that Green Bay Giants game, uh, a lot of the early tickets and cash on the under three to one tickets, six to one money on the under uh, in that in, in the second. Well, I guess it's not really the second. Both these games kick off at the same time on Monday night to wrap up the NFL week 14 odds market. Looking ahead to the week 15 odds market, talk to an odds maker here in Las Vegas tonight. I think, you know, arguably the most compelling game is that Ravens Jaguars game. This game opened Baltimore three. Went to three and a half tonight, Sunday night as I speak to you, and then returned to minus three. But the odds maker said this is really interesting because it's down a lot from last week's look-ahead opener. Last week's look-ahead opener was Ravens, I believe, six or six and a half. So that's basically been cut in half. And the reason for that, the odds maker said Baltimore, as I alluded to earlier, could have easily been beaten by the Rams. They could have lost that game, winning on a 76-yard punt return. Further, Trevor Lawrence, he came back from the high ankle sprain. Look, he threw three interceptions, but he also made some plays in that game and kept Jacksonville in it, although Jacksonville did end up losing at Cleveland. And then you've got Buffalo and Dallas, a really good matchup. That first game, by the way, that uh, uh, Ravens-Shags game, that's on Sunday night. Buffalo and Dallas on Sunday, that's a monster as well, with Buffalo coming off a much-needed win on the road against Kansas City and Dallas at home rolling over Philadelphia. The odds maker open Cowboys Bills at Buffalo minus two. Buffalo's at home and the Bills climbed to two and a half already. So the odds maker noted that even with a seven and six record, you got the Cowboys at 10 and three, but even with a seven and six record, the Bills are still one of the highest power rated teams in the league. And he said, this line reflects that. So a little look back at the weekend that was a little look at the twin bill, not really a double header because they're going up against each other. But uh, the two games on Monday night to wrap up the NFL Week 14 odds market, and then a look at a couple of the more notable games in the NFL Week 15 odds market, all of which you can check out in my NFL Week 15 odds and action report that's up right now at VegasInsider.com. Thank you, Patrick, and thank you for listening to the Action Network podcast presented by BetMGM. Enjoy the doubleheader for Monday Night Football and keep an eye out for all of our Week 15 podcasts right here on the Action Network. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.